Hey, y'all. This is Jacqueline Kitzman. This is the Awaken Tarot podcast. And this episode is coming out on a Friday because I have now spent almost a week doing a lot of research on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Last week, late last week, a group classified as a terrorist organization um, called Hamas was given a piece of information about how to get around Israel's defense system called the Iron Dome, and they bombed a part of Israel. Uh, This was devastating. It killed a lot of people and wounded hundreds more, women, children. So in response, Israel declared war on Hamas. Israel has a ton of support from the U.S., other countries around the world, and it would be very easy to leave it there. But I'm going to I'm going to give you guys a little geopolitical background. So after World War II, the UK had a lot of land that they had colonized in the Middle East. And they gave it to the Jewish people who had been dislocated from by Hitler and the Nazis and sent them to basically created for them a holy land. The problem is that this was already somebody's land, their holy land. It belonged to the Palestinians. The Israelis moved there and removed Palestinians from their homes, pushed them out, and pushed them into an area that is known as the Gaza Strip. 2.5, 2.2, 2.5 million people live there in a relatively small space um, and with a wall. It's known and referred to as the world's largest open-air prison. So what you've got is a terrorist organization born of an oppressed people bombing Israel, who is an ally of the U.S. Israel declared war on Hamas. The Israeli president declared war on Hamas on Hamas, and then told the, is, told the Palestinian people that they had like a day to leave and to flee, but then began bombing the borders. The Palestinians, they don't have anywhere to go. Where would they go? They've already been displaced from their land and have faced close to 100 years of colonization. This is effectively an apartheid. It's effectively an ethnic cleansing situation. So you have an oppressed people who, a group of which have decided to fight back against being oppressed in a devastatingly deadly and lethal way. You have people in the U.S. coming out in support of Palestine, and they're being called anti-Semitic because they believe that the Palestinian people deserve to not be kept in the world's largest open-air prison. And then on the other side, you have people in full support of Israel, and they're being called racist. There's a lot of xenophobia at play here. Um, In America, we tend to look at this, and we tend to look at things in general in a very binary way, where good and bad, right versus left, Democrat versus Republican, you know, and and, and, and in our westernized way of doing things, a lot of the times you can just go see what somebody in your party is saying and then parrot that out. The reality for me as a human is that I'm always going to look to people. 
I spent a week researching and learning about the geo as much as I can. I'm not a historian. I'm not a scholar. I'm just a person working really hard to use Google. The people who are going to get hurt are the civilians, the Israeli civilians and the Palestinian civilians. And the reality is that when Israel declared war on Hamas, they declared war on the Palestinian people, 2.2 million of which are living in the Gaza Strip, the majority of which are not part of Hamas. Israel um, has cut off their food, their water, and their fuel, and they are bombing the Gaza Strip. Palestinians have nowhere to go. And not only that, but half of the civilians in Palestine, half of that 2.2 to 2.5 million people are children. I am not an expert, and some of the complexities of what is happening are still lost on me. But I do know that there are Jewish people and Israeli people who are hurting, broken, and traumatized. And there are Palestinian people, Palestinian Americans, who are hurt and traumatized and they have been oppressed. And the reality of the situation is, is that I have spent over a year talking about and paying attention to what is happening in Ukraine, where one country decided that they wanted and were owed land, invaded that land, and then have just decided to take it, killing an indiscriminate amount of people, bombing city after city, starving, hurting people, and I have spent over a year talking about how wrong that is. And I have spent a week really researching and learning the complexities of what's happened. Not all of them. Again, I am not an expert. But it would be vastly and wildly hypocritical of me to say that I, I'm not going to say that I understand the actions of Hamas because I never and I, I find it truly abysmal and awful. And I, I find it very difficult to wrap my mind around the willing, willingly hurting other humans But I also understand that the Palestinians right now who are living in the Gaza Strip are an oppressed people and have been for close to 100 years. And this is not me defending the actions of Hamas in any capacity. This is me saying that it is very, very, very hard to not see the complexities of this issue. My advice to people is to not fall on xenophobia, to to look at this from a from a humanitarian standpoint and to really take the time to do your research. I want to read to you something that I read today that has resonated with me the most about this entire situation. Um, It was a statement released by Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is a Jewish man. He's also a um, democratic socialist and he has run for president multiple times. Here is what Bernie had to say. And I think that it really kind of resonates on a large scale how I'm feeling about all of this. Hamas's terrorist assault on Israel will have horrific short and long term consequences. As a result of this attack, thousands of Israelis and Palestinians, including many women and children, have been killed and injured. That toll will rise. The gunning down of young Israelis at a music festival is an image the world will not soon forget. This attack is a major setback for any hope of peace and reconciliation in the region and justice for the Palestinian people. For years, people of goodwill throughout the world, including some brave Israelis, have struggled against the blockade of Gaza, the daily humiliations of occupation in the West Bank, and the horrendous living conditions faced by so many Palestinians. 
For many, it is no secret that Gaza has been an open-air prison with millions of people struggling to secure basic necessities. Hamas's terrorism will make it much more difficult to address that tragic reality and will embolden extremists on both sides, continuing the cycle of violence. Right now, the international community must focus on reducing humanitarian suffering and protecting innocent people on both sides of this conflict. The targeting of civilians is a war crime, no matter who does it. Israel's blanket denial of food, water, and other necessities to Gaza is a serious violation of international law and will do nothing but harm innocent civilians. The United States has rightly offered solidarity and support to Israel in responding to Hamas's attack, but we must also insist on restraint from Israeli forces attacking Gaza and work to secure UN humanitarian access. Let us not forget that half of the two million people in Gaza are children. Children and innocent people do not deserve to be punished for the acts of Hamas. I think Bernie does a really good job of putting words together that I my heart hasn't find a way, hasn't found a way to speak. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, I don't really understand, I still don't quite understand how to feel, I really encourage you to do your research to see what the news is saying. A friend on Instagram, I don't want to, I haven't asked if I can use their name, um, sent me a NPR episode. It's like 10 minutes long and it talks and kind of breaks down the nuances of this. Um, There is a TikToker that I really, really love. Their username is Simkern, S-I-M-K-E-R-N. It's Sim Book Talks Badly. Uh, They're also on Instagram as well. They are a non-binary Jewish author who created a strike almost called like read or protest called read for Palestine, where they were recommending Palestinian written books by Palestinian authors that kind of like broke down what's actually happening. They have some really good commentary on what's happening in Israel versus what's happening in Palestine and how they feel as a Jewish person living in America. And, and thank you, Kira, for sending me the video with the resources on it. Kira, if you're listening to this, you're amazing. My point is, is that there are a vast amount of resources, not the least of which are actually using social media as a tool to go listen to the voices of the people who are experiencing the trauma. Go seek out Palestinian voices. Go seek out Israeli voices. Go listen to what they're saying. Have have the heart and the ears of a humanitarian. Do not fall back on xenophobia. Do not simply parrot what some person in our party, our political party here in, in the Western world is saying, take the time to actually act on humanitarianism. And if you're wondering why we're talking about current events like this on a tarot podcast, it's because if you're reading tarot, you're working with collective energy. This is the collective energy. This is what's happening in the world. If you're pulling tarot and you're like, oh, I've never gotten this card in this way before. I don't understand. Tarot evolves it evolves with the collective. It evolves with humanity. I have Jewish friends who are devastated. I have Palestinian friends who are devastated. I am I am watching people grapple with trying to figure out what to even think about this. I'm grappling with it. There's confusion and angst and sadness and fear and trauma and broken hearts and We talk about current events because it matters. It truly matters. Whether you wish it did or not, it just does. And 
So again, I encourage us all to take on the hearts, ears, and brains, and all of the senses of a humanitarian and not rely and rest on xenophobia. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed this episode on the Hierophant. Thank you all for being so patient while I gathered my research and thoughts. You are all very much appreciated. The really fun thing about segues is that you're not supposed to like be announced like the segue part of it, but not me, not I. I'll tell you exactly when we're segueing, seg, segueing. So we're talking about the Hierophant today. Um, let me explain what the card looks like. Uh, you've got a the Pope or a some sort of priest. They have a large yellow crown on their head. They've got a scepter. They've got the other hand up doing kind of like this holy symbol, which is their index and their middle finger up, their thumb kind of in like pointing up to, and then the uh, ring finger and pinky are down. It's given a little bit of a Pope, you know, sign. Uh, they've got like, of course, like the clergy robe on the red clergy robe. They're sitting between two pillars. Um, the pillars are gray. So this is similarly spaced like the high priestess, except in front of the, well, at the base of the Hierophant's feet are keys. Um, but then in front of the Hierophant are two, um, I'm going to say monks because they got those little nice monk bald spots in the back of their little heads. Um, one of the monks is decked out in what looks like roses and the other one is decked out in what looks like leaves. And they're both kneeling at the this pope or this clergy person's feet. So the Hierophant is card five in the Major Arcana. Fives in tarot are contractions. And I'm going to get more into like the... I'm going to get more after I read the traditional stuff about why the Hierophant is a contraction, because I do think that that's confusing for, I think when you look at the fives in like the minor arcana, all of the cards, you're like, yeah, obviously that's a contraction. But then I think when you get to the major arcana, there's a little bit more of like a confusion in regards to why the Hierophant is a five and how it kind of corresponds. I actually do. And again, like you do not have to like, I am, I do, I only want people who really want to be on Patreon to go to Patreon. I don't, I never want you all to feel like I'm pushing, but I did do and have been breaking down. Like this is card five in the major arcana. And here are all the fives in the minor arcana. And this is how they relate to each other and how they work. So if you're interested in, in stuff like that, specifically for the fives, which I know is kind of like a harder one for people to grasp sometimes when they're learning tarot. Um, there is that on Patreon. If you really, really would love access to that one thing and you really do, you cannot afford Patreon, please let me know and I will just I'll, I'll send it to you. So I like I'm not, I'm not trying to like hide information from people. I just also um, I've been doing this segment, this segment on Patreon. So. Yeah. Okay. Wait, what was I doing? This is my ADHD brain, ADHDing all over the place. So when you're talking about the Hierophant in a more like traditional aspect, the way, you know, Arthur Edward Waite would have talked about this card, you're looking at it like the, the basically like the duality of the high priestess. So this is what Arthur would have called the male high priestess the other side so while the high priestess is intuition and kind of like the governing over like your subconscious and giving you secrets and being alluring the hierophant is then gonna they're gonna act as like this like person who tells you what's moral who tells you what to do who 
tells you what the rules, laws, subconscious, religious doctrine are. And when we pull this card, it's our job to then listen to it. Well, that's an incredibly uncomfortable thing. Um, And so like when you're reading this card, like we always kind of get like this icky feeling with it. And a lot of that ickiness comes, I think, from like one, the fact that the five kind of governs this card, which is a contraction. And two, the ickiness kind of stems from the fact that like traditionally this is a card of being told what to do, which for a lot of us at this point in time, especially as religion is kind of taking a backseat and so many people are deconstructing the evolutionary principle of this card has shifted so deeply. So let me go ahead right now and open up the pictorial key to the tarot by Arthur Edward Waite. Um, you can buy this book pretty much anywhere, by the way. Almost any uh, metaphysical store is going to have it that sells tarot. Um, you can get it on Amazon. I think I bought it locally here in Nashville, but you could also find it at like, I think I was just at Books A Million like two weeks ago and they had it there. So you can get this book anywhere if this is I okay hold on one second you guys I'm balancing this microphone on a very full cup of coffee and feel like that's a bad decision okay here we go <clears throat> five the hierophant he wears the triple crown and is seated between two pillars but they are not those of the temple which is guarded by the high priestess in his left hand he holds a scepter terminating in the triple cross and with his right hand, he gives the well-known ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical, I can speak, sign, which is called that of esotericism, distinguishing between the manifest and concealed part of doctrine. It is noticeable in this connection that the high priestess makes no sign. <laughs> at his, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, he's so sexist, it hurts me. At his feet are the crossed keys and two priestly ministers in albs kneel before him. He has been usually called the Pope, which is a particular application of the more general office that he symbolizes. He is the ruling power of external religion, as the high priestess is with the prevailing genius of the esoteric withdrawn power. The proper meanings of this card have suffered woeful admixture from nearly all hands. Grant Orient says truly that the Hierophant is the power of the keys. Gotta, gotta turn a page. Okay, aha. Uh -huh. Keys, exoteric orthodox doctrine, and the outer side of the life which leads to the doctrine, but he is certainly not the prince of occult doctrine, as another commentator has suggested. The amount of shade this man throws is absolutely insurmountable. Just wow. He's so catty. <clears throat> he is rather the summa totius theologiae. When it has passed <laughs> when it has passed unto the utmost rigidity of expression, but he symbolizes also all things that are righteous and sacred on the manifest side. As such, he is the channel of grace belonging to the world of institution as distinct from that of nature, and he is the leader of salvation for the human race at large. <laughs> he is <laughs> I'm sorry, it's so funny. He is the order and the head of the recognized hierarchy, which is the reflection of another and greater hierarchic order. But it may also happen. <laughs> sorry, but it may so happen that the pontiff forgets the significance of of this. His symbolic. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm sorry. It's so funny. Let me. Mm -mm. He is the order and head of the recognized hierarchy, which is the reflection of another and greater hierarchic order. 
but it may so happen that the pon but it may so happen that the pontiff forgets the significance of this his symbolic state and acts as if he contained within his proper measures all that his sign signifies or his symbol seeks to shew forth he is not as it has been taught philosophy except on the theological side he is not inspiration and he is not religion although he is a mode of its expression Okay, so I know that I kind of like stumbled my way through that and like asthma coughed my way through it. But basically, <laughs> he, Arthur Edward Waite and his writing on these cards is so funny to me because he gets so fucking catty for no reason. For no reason should he be this sassy, but he is so sassy and a little misogynistic. So... What he's saying is that while the high priestess is the keeper of internal knowledge that we have, the hierophant is the key to unlocking and understanding the information. So what we've got here is the high priestess has a knowing, but the hierophant tells you how to know it. Um, this is very similar to the um, the very misogynistic take on the Empress and Emperor where the, where the Empress receives the message, but the Emperor interprets it. Um, so here's, <laughs> it's just very, it's just very funny to me. So basically what Arthur Edward Waite is saying is that this card represents the energy of being zealous about something without specifically pertaining to religion. Traditionally in like Marseille decks or Visconti decks, the Hierophant was actually called the Pope. So that's where, that's what he's saying as well, that this card used to be kind of like synonymous with with like the ritualistic religion of Catholicism as a whole, which is interesting because Catholicism has a lot of ritual to it. If you, I don't know if people who grew up Protestant, so my grandfather was a Lutheran pastor. And if you know anything about the Protestants versus the Catholics, they had a, I also a very deep um, conflict as well um, in that the Catholics were almost deemed it's very funny because the two of them used to call each other. They would call the other heretics. So the Catholics would say, no, these rituals are important and given to us unto by by the Pope who speaks one on one to God and then delivers this message to us. Very much like Moses speaking to God and then bringing us the Ten Commandments. This is kind of how uh, the Pope is seen. They commune with God as a whole. And so when the Pope says something or relays some sort of, you know, verdict on a situation, um, then Catholics as a whole say, okay, this is a man who is in governance with God himself and has been appointed by God himself, and therefore we must listen. So um, that's kind of how the Pope was taken traditionally. Now, Arthur Edward Waite, who was not necessarily a religious Christian or Catholic man, but who did arguably really resonate in regards to the idea of ritualistic behavior is saying that the hierophant is someone who acts zealous and religious to a certain extent without being like yucky it still comes with like this idea of confinement or that only someone who is rehearsed in a like this would be like me saying like only i can teach you tarot because i am the hierophant right 
that's nuts. That's that's bonkers nuts. This is like saying you can only be certified to learn tarot. Like to read tarot, you have to be certified and you have to be certified by me. That's 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 what Arthur Edward Waite is talking about. He is saying that this is a person who holds the key to giving information, but he's not talking about this like a minister or a pope. He's talking about it as someone who is rehearsed ideally probably a man in the spiritual or gnostic arts who is then going to teach you the the you know monk or albus i believe it's said in the book here at their feet <clears throat> the information now this has changed a lot um what i want to do right now is kind of like take a beat because as i'm kind of talking about like the evolution of this card before i go on to read what i wrote about it i got a message from someone a few weeks ago um, and of course, like I, I'm only putting out the episode every few weeks now, right? But they messaged me very kindly. Um, and I'm going to read what they wrote and how they relate to the Hierophant because they knew this card was coming up next and they wanted to see if I would be willing to talk about the component of this card as I'm talking about like how this card has changed and how this card still applies in that context. So I'm going to read this. Um, it's, uh, Alba Hakita, um, is the name. I could have pronounced that wrong, though I did try my best. It could be Alba Hakita or Alba Akita. Um, re anyway, regardless, that, that's their username. But, um, they said, hi, Jacqueline. I'm currently learning tarot and your podcast has helped a lot to understand that not everything is about me as some cards also show the inequalities and social injustice that's around the world. So I really appreciate your section of current events, and I wanted to suggest a theme in that order if it makes sense to you. As I'm guessing the next episode will be about the Hierophant, for me, this, card this card's shadow can be a dictator as the one who is in my home country, Nicaragua. I went to exile because of the severe and violent oppression in Nicaragua, where we have a dictator, well, a couple of dictators, the president and his wife, um, they put quotes around president, who obliges us to think as they want us to think, and if we don't, then we go to jail. So I just thought it could be an interesting theme on current events as Nicaragua crisis. Um, it's not often mentioned, but it does affect the whole region, even the USA. So thanks for sharing your voice and knowledge on your podcast. So I wanted to kind of take a beat here and say that this is a real life example of how people are interpreting tarot depending on where they are and what's happening for for the sweet person who messaged me and i only have their username which is why i'm referring to them as person i don't i don't have their pronouns nor their name and uh however as this person has messaged me they are their relation to the hierophant is the one that is directly happening in their lives right now literally having to go into exile because of the government and heavy-handed regime that is taking place and happening in nicaragua so our interpretations of the hierophant as a whole have to span a spectrum right so for those of us living in the u.s we could relate to the conflict or the contraction of this card in regards to 
our our government in regards to the absolute clown clown president we had 2016 to 2020 and the ramifications of that presidency and who he appointed and the people who kind of govern us and make those rules right like the supreme court for instance they have overturned roe v wade they make all these decisions for us as people they have life terms. We don't elect them. They tell us what the Constitution says and what it does not, even if it makes no goddamn sense. And they tell us what rights we have and what rights we don't. Now, we don't live under a dictatorship in the U.S., though fascism is quickly kind of flooding in with this influx of far right politics and politicians and legislation and doctrine. An emphasis on using religion as a way to control people. But we have a real life example here of of a country who has, and again, they put presidents in president in quotations, has a president, quote unquote, who is in all effects a dictator who tells people what they can or can't say, can or cannot think. And that's terrifying. And so when we're looking at the Hierophant, it spans that Supreme Court, that dictator mentality, that ruling over somebody mentality and telling them what is right or what is wrong. And then it comes over into even, you know, into even like this card also represents when you enter middle school for the first time. And all of a sudden you go from knowing yourself and what you like and what toys you like and what clothes you like. And all of a sudden now you're entering this kind of like realm where societal principle and and the whatever governs like what's cool and what's not cool on a collective scale decided by one few people who are well liked or more likely feared tell you what's cool, what's not cool. And then you kind of get told for several years what you are, what group you belong in, what you like, what you should like. And if you don't conform, then you get isolated. And and that's a very like microchasm example of this person who literally went into exile because of the person who governs and rules over their country. And, that, and that's the Hierophant. So when we're talking about a contraction here, we're talking about how we comply or do not comply to societal norms set before us. Because we are entering, we're entering it innocently, like in middle school, or when we have to go into the world for the first time. Like right now, Evie, for example, my daughter who is two, is living by toddler rules. She will scream, no, whenever she wants she will scream loudly. She will cry. She will literally in small, t- like if she needs to pee or poop, like she'll just do it. Like she doesn't like, you know, like she has not quite yet gotten to that point where she recognizes that there's a societal like pressure on us to go into another room. Even like when you're, I mean, obviously like for adults, like who are potty trained, like we have to go to another room as that is where the toilet exists. But like toddlers will do this thing. And this is how you kind of know when they're ready for potty training is that you kind of watch for when they, for like what they do when they need to go to the bathroom. Do they go seek privacy? Do they go seek privacy? Because they are starting to understand that that's what adults do. We go to another place to go to the bathroom. We walk away. We go somewhere private. That is something that toddlers pick up as they start to understand that there is a societal thing that people do. So it's not because specifically they need that privacy or they're embarrassed or ashamed. It's literally because that's what society does. Their parents do, their siblings do, the other people around them do. And they have decided that they need to seek that out too. 
So where once there was not shame, now there's, I wouldn't say there's necessarily shame, but now there's an understanding that this is something that we do in private. And so the hierophant kind of governs all of those principles of like, what is normal in society? What is, what is ruling over us? How are we complying? How are we not complying? And it can be as vicious as a dictator, or it can be as snarky as the middle school person who is telling everybody and setting the standards of what's cool and what is not. It, it, it can be as small as figuring out where you're going to sit at lunch and what group you best resonate with in, in this, or it can be as, you know, docile as trying to figure out like what, what is appropriate in regards to it. Like, have you ever been to like one city and gone to another city? Like one thing, even like parts of a city, like one type of behavior is super acceptable and common, like on Broadway in Nashville. But if you go anywhere else in Nashville, it is an incredibly progressive and liberal place. Like you're not going to get away with being like super conservative, Republican, icky and gross um, in specific parts of Nashville, even just in the city you're not going to be able to do that. So kind of figuring out what rules and behaviors kind of umbrella those areas is is hierophant energy too. And that's why it's the contraction. It's us having to decide how to conform, what to do, what's there, where is safe. The hierophant kind of spans all of that. And it's an incredibly complicated card, but it's that contraction for that reason. We have to decide what is that governing principle. But it's also a card that talks about tradition, generational curses, family ties. What do you do for Thanksgiving? What do you do for Christmas? This is a card that kind of governs that. Like when Gabe and I got married, we had entirely different, even before we got married, we were celebrating Christmases together, but we had entirely different traditions that we had to literally marry together. And we, and now when we, now that we have our own child, like we've spent Christmases with Gabriel's family where they have really rich and and deep family traditions. And and then with my family and my family's interesting because we have things that we do, like we would only, we didn't really actually get gifts from Santa. We got gifts from like uh, Frank Sinatra or gifts from Mickey Mouse or whatever cartoon characters we were really in love with. And we always got presents from like our pets. And that's just something that my dad did for us. And that's something that we've carried in with Evie. But that was something that Gabe learned about when he went to my family. But then I have a, I had a stepmom um, that my parents are no longer together, but my, my stepmom and father. But she had family traditions that she carried in that we all kind of married together. And so that's all stuff that the Hierophant rules too. how these things all mix together and how they and how they kind of jumble in and mesh and become one. So the Hierophant really spans these very large issues that are in, vastly important, like is your country ruled by a dictator to what fascist rules are being put in place in your country because one court decides what the constitution means to um, what traditions are we going to uphold in our own family units to what are we marrying into um, to what do we think is cool now in school? Like all of these things, that's all the hierophant and that's why it's so hard. It's because it's the first time we have to literally be around other people. So in the workbook, I have literally spoken for 40 minutes. I'm so sorry, Gabriel. Um, sending you love in the future. So this is the Hierophant and this is what I wrote. What I wrote about it in the workbook. The Hierophant. With knowledge comes power and with power comes responsibility. In the Emperor, we learn how to establish ourselves, our homes, our independence. We taught ourselves the way of life, but in the Hierophant, we are ready to teach others. 
Hierophant energy is a teacher's energy, a place of creating tradition, engaging in ritual, and developing community. In the Hierophant, we create and obey moral codes, pass on teachings, and govern. We teach and show. It is up to us how we teach and rule. Ideally, we would go forward and educate with compassion and love. But in the Hierophant, we, for the first time, experience power in a way that affects others and is therefore necessary to constantly consider how we choose to show and exude Hierophant energy. At its heart, the Hierophant is a compassionate teacher and upholder of values and tradition as we ruminate in this energy. We must consider what we will uphold for future generations and community. We mastered how in the Emperor and now in the Hierophant, we are mastering the art of showing. So this is what I wrote in regards to a spread for the Hierophant. In what way are we being asked to teach others? In what way can we best build tradition? What traditions or morals are we being asked to uphold? When embodying the Hierophant, how can we be responsible with our power? So in the Hierophant, we're kind of what I wrote here in the workbook is how we're kind of working with ourselves in that Hierophant energy, because this workbook is meant to kind of like establish how we resonate with these cards. Um, but now let me talk to you about how this card, when it comes up in a reading, how I read it. So again, this is Major Arcana. So whenever I pull a Major Arcana, regardless of what it is, I'm always kind of understanding that there is an overarching theme somewhere, some sort of the energy that governs <laughs> but unth, governs over us um, or kind of like guides or leads us that we work with, like that primordial energy that's there. It's always there. Um, and it's, it's just kind of how we navigate, right? So when I pull the Hierophant, I always kind of, or... Any major arcana card, I always like to take a take a beat to consider that. So when I pull this card in a reading, what I try to comprehend is how are we challenging or being challenged by social like constraints that have been put on us or that we have put around others. So like let's say in a relationship reading, right? Like you pull this card in a relationship reading, you pull the hierophant. So then my question would be like. What about your communication? What about the way things have been set up is working? And then what's not working? If I pull this card with other cards, those other cards may give me a clue as to what's working or not working. So I may not even have to ask that. But in the Hierophant, my first thought is, okay, so what in regards to the setup of this relationship is working and not working? How is the communication feeling how is it domineering in some way is somebody being more domineering is somebody being accused of nagging when really what they just need is a little bit more help and order who is doing the majority of work all of these things come to my mind when i see the hierophant in a relationship reading or in a professional career reading right like the question is okay what is the work culture like is it something in regards to the per people in charge that is bothering you or if you are the boss and you are the person in charge then what are you what work culture are you creating and upholding what are you trying to accomplish are you feeling comfortable in your environment or are you not what about the rules as put forth or the uh the expectations of your role in your job do you like and which ones do you not what are you struggling with is it time to break something down is it time to ask for a change of something um, is it time to say that I need more freedom? Is it time to go up and say, if you want me to accomplish this job, I need more money. And of course, the other cards surrounding it are going to help as well. 
let's say you pull this card spiritually. This could be like, and you're like, oh my God, like I really want to get better at tarot. How can I do it? And you pull this card. It could be saying a couple of things. It could be saying, find somebody that you trust to teach you. It could be saying, get a reading done by somebody else and see what you like and what you don't. It could be saying, give readings to other people and have them tell you what they liked and what they didn't like. Um, or what resonated with them and what didn't resonate with them. I do that with my my cousin's wife. I won't I won't say her name. She probably wouldn't appreciate that. But I do readings for her. And like this last time I was like, hey, like I kind of switched up the way I do taroscopes for Patreon. Can I read for you? Um, and then you let me know. So like we we do basically like how I do it with her is that like I, because she's family I'll get on and be like, hey, like, when do you have time to talk? Let me do this reading for you. And because September went by and we hadn't had time to FaceTime yet, I was like, hey, let me read to you what I pulled for your September. And you tell me how it resonated, how it didn't resonate, what made sense to you and what doesn't make sense to you. And that makes me a better reader to know what resonates, what doesn't resonate, how I'm reading, how, you know, what I'm saying. It helps me be better. And it does that in a way where I fully, I fully trust her to be like, this is great. This isn't great. This is what I, you know, like I fully trust her opinion. Hey, when you get to this episode, I love you. Uh, again, I'm not going to say her name, but um, just very much a card and an energy in regards to spirituality where it's like, do you need to seek information that you resonate with? Or in the reverse, it's, hey, like you're really trying so hard to conform to how all these other people do things. You know, you have the keys to kind of unlock this for yourself. You don't have to do it the way anybody else does it. If it's not resonating with you and it's not resonating with others because it's not resonating with you, well, then what do you think about it? And this is something that really applied for me when I was learning tarot um, because I just didn't like I didn't resonate with a lot of the different ways in a lot of the books I was reading and my brain is very neurodivergent. And so I had a really kind of hard time being like, maybe is it that my brain doesn't get this or is it, is it that this doesn't work this way? Is it just that this is not how my brain works? So I took a lot of time to kind of be like, okay, so if I was teaching myself, how am I going to do that? So I said, what's my learning style? How can I learn according to my learning style? How can I process this information in a way that makes sense to my neurodivergent brain? And then that's kind of how I started to teach myself and how I started to write these workbooks. Um, so it, you know, if you're read, if you're pulling the card in regards to like, how can I work with this energy and you pull the hierophant? Well, you know, it could be like either find somebody you resonate with the teachings of and see what they're doing and then do what agrees with you and then don't do what doesn't or sit down and figure out what exactly, how exactly this resonates for you. Because I bet if it resonates for you in some way, then it's going to resonate for others in some way, especially the people who just kind of naturally energetically want you to read for them or want to work with you spiritually in that way. Um, I think so often we doubt ourselves and we should doubt ourselves less. So yeah, that is the Hierophant and how I would read it. I hope that this all made sense to you. I'm very excited about just like, this is a big, heavy card. So I know this was a longer episode and we still have stars and shit to do, but let me kind of jump into the collective reading here. So I did something just kind of like extra, extra fun because I wanted to, because I'm chaotic and it's my podcast. I do what I want. 
Um, so what I did here is I pulled a card for the collective energy and then I pulled a card from, I don't use a ton of Oracle decks, but one of the Oracle decks that I do use and I really, really love is the Supra Oracle deck by Usi. It's a, it's loosely based on Carl Jungian, like psycho psychoanalysis and Gnostic theory, where it just takes a lot of like abstract concepts or words. And then there is a guidebook, but I don't use the guidebook for it. I really like to kind of like use the words and the shapes, like in the, in the, there's literally a card in this deck that just says nothing. And it's, it tickles me because the idea is that you kind of sit here and you really dive into what does that word mean for you? You can look up the definition, but like, what does that word mean for you? How does that reflect in your life? And the idea is you kind of break it down and shake it apart. And I just really love that because it really encourages, I think, you diving into your own brain and your own concepts. And I, I really, I really love that. So I've got a card from the tarot. That's what is the collective energy? What energy will be with us this coming week? And then the super oracle deck is how can we work with that energy? So I just thought that might be fun. If you like it, you can let me know. If you don't like it, you can, you'll probably also let me know. So yeah. Okay. What is the collective energy? What will be kind of like ruminating with us this coming week or this coming two weeks, rather, I should say it's the 10 of pentacles. So in the 10, 10s are a number of like a full circle, like a, like a completion of something. And in the 10 of pentacles, it's all of that stuff that we learned in the previous suits, um, but then synthesized outside. So it's kind of this examining of our environment that when we take all of the stuff internally and we put it all on the outside and like all of like the ideally we've mastered all of these things. So ideally in the 10 of pentacles, we are not only like internally the healthiest version of ourselves, but also outside the healthiest version we can be. And that's kind of ironic because when I pull this card as a person who has like is both neurodivergent and has a lot of chronic health issues like asthma or endometriosis, I'm always like, what is my version of being the healthiest I can be? My husband baked sweet potatoes this morning and I had to hide in my bedroom because my asthma got so bad that I couldn't breathe out there. And so I'm just thinking to myself, okay, the 10 of pentacles, what's the healthiest version of myself internally and externally that I'll kind of get to work with this coming week? Um, I might have more energy. I might have more energy this coming week. I might have a easier time being social or or using my words or feeling more confident or at least feeling more settled. And if that's the energy that we kind of get to work with, how can we work with it? Uh, primordial is the word in the card that I pulled from the super deck. And I'll kind of explain in the in the card primordial, you have a large mountain with um, you know, clouds and sky behind it. And the idea behind, if you've ever heard me talk about the fool, you'll have heard me use this word primordial. Primordial is a thing that has been there. It has always been there. Um, you may have heard the term primordial goo. The primordial goo is the stuff, it's that goo that's been there since like the big bang, ideally. And, or like, you know, theologically, scientifically, um, it's that goo that's always been there that all of life crawled out of. One of the things that's super, super duper cool about science and it's that marriage between like science and uh, spirituality or magic or whatever is that energy and, and matter cannot be created or destroyed. So like all of the stuff that was on this earth at the Big Bang when there was like literally nothing but goo is all the same mass molecules, atoms and material and energy that's here right now. And I just find that to me, that is like so mind blowing. It is genuinely so mind blowing that we just keep recycling all of this, these atoms, molecules and energy. So primordial. So when we're talking about the 10 of pentacles, right. And we're like, this is the collective energy. And then we use the word primordial to how to work with it. 
we're asking ourselves and considering how can we work in our in our lives, regardless of whatever that looks like for people with like chronic conditions or trauma, CPTSD, neurodivergency, whatever, how can we be the truest and most healthy form of ourselves? What does it take to get there? Knowing that we absolutely 110% belong there. So for me, the marriage of these two cards with the collective energy reading for this coming two weeks is how can we remember that we belong here? That we are meant to be here on earth, in our environment, wherever that is. And because we belong and because we are meant to be and because we are this beautiful primordial combination of a thousand different things that have been here forever and always, we are meant to be here and belong. So what, how do we use that? How can we remember that we are the most perfect combination of billions upon billions of atoms and molecules and energy that's been here since the beginning of time. We are so special, all of us, and we belong. So how, so when we start to feel like frantic and maybe get like imposter syndrome, like, no, we belong. Or when we start to feel that depressive episode coming in, a lot of us will, especially people who have like seasonal affective disorder. As that kind of seeps in, just this reminder, like we belong here. We belong in nature. Of course, we're starting to feel closed off. We're starting to hibernate. So I just think that that's kind of like these two cards are so beautiful together. And I I'm ha- I love that I pulled them together. I love that I had that kind of inclination. But you guys will have to let me know if you liked it. All right. Um, if you like this podcast, consider rating, subscribing, and reviewing. Um, if you don't, that's also okay. Just be con- be constructive with your, with your commentary. And uh, now it's time for Stars and Shit. Bye. Is that what you're going to call it, though? Is that what you're going to call it? Do I get to name it? Stars and Shit! Hey, everybody. Welcome to Stars and Shit, your dose of astrology with Gabe. Uh, for those of you who are new, I am Jacqueline's husband and um, co-producer and editor of the podcast, technically speaking. Since we had some changes to the format and the frequency that we're going to be delivering episodes, I might have to rethink exactly how stars and shit works. But for this one, I really just wanted to come on and talk about the big the big hitters in October. And as always, I like to go through the transits and tie them back to tarot in some way, as this is a tarot podcast. Um, But I do want to give you some astrology as well. Um. I do have a few episodes and blurbs and, um, of course, the full forecast that I release for the Patreon subscribers. So if you're interested in more of that and I'm hearing from me, then take a look at that. So for October, I realize we're uh, we're about a week into it, so we've already hit a, a few of the transits of October. I apologize for that. Again, I'm going to try and rectify that and figure out how I can get this to you before the first of the month. One of the big ones this month is coming through actually today as I'm recording this. You'll hear you'll hear this sometime next week. If if we were able to get this out on Monday, then we will have already been in the later degrees of a Mars square Pluto. And overall, I just want to say a Mars square Pluto is a pretty dynamic transit about um, action and transformation 
together. And it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty hard one, or it can be um, taken that way. It can also be transformative in a good way. It doesn't have to be scary. Traditionally, uh, Pluto and Mars are what's considered malefic planets, but we we have to invite the full spectrum of of possibilities within a, within an archetype. So we also analyze the good things about about Mars that can be bravery and courage and the good things about Pluto that is uh, very deep and intense healing. So, um, but not to say that that can't be hard sometimes. Um, so that's one of the transits, but I, what I really want to get into are, are the eclipses. It is, it is eclipse season. We have a solar eclipse on October 14th, which is very close to Mercury. Um, this is, this is taking place in Libra and I have some notes on it. Um, balance is a never-ending action and implies never-ending correction. Uh, what part of what part of your relationship to the cycle needs correcting, and how much? What Venusian parts of life are coming to a head? The story continues with Venus. This summer we went through a Venus retrograde, which I talked a bit about, both here and on Patreon. There may be some Venusian things at work here that can be relationships, um, not just love and sex and marital or spousal type things, but, but also relationships to your friends, relationship to your work, to your creativity, um, how you relate to the world. Those sorts of things might be undergoing some sort of change right now. The Venus retrograde could have started those changes off and could have been the initiating climax point they could have also set something in motion and formed some sort of change that could be an aspect of it could be coming up right now during these eclipses and and being rectified in a way or redeemed um because these eclipses are happening in the venus uh, venusian sign of libra libra is ruled by venus traditionally speaking one of the biggest themes that i've heard being spread around is do we try this again or keep going and see if it works out um, to, you know, to keep to use determination or willpower or do we try something different to initiate a change? Spiritual or relational harvest? What fruits are ripe? How, how does it taste? And how might we want to change things so that we can yield a better harvest? next time again playing on the same theme of do we need to change something or do we keep going um, i definitely see this happening in my life and um i can i'm super happy to hear and read comments from you guys if this is showing up for you um the next thing i want to want to throw at you real quick is a is a mercury kazemi and again a mercury kazemi is when the mercury is is when mercury is conjunct the sun which is a of prophetic uh, a time of clarity um and this is square pluto again so we just had mars that's squaring pluto around right now and mercury is going to square pluto it's right behind mars coming through in the later degrees of libra it's going to square pluto the south node is also here which is alluding again to eclipse themes because the eclipse takes place any eclipse takes place around the nodes of the moon i did a a, a nice explanation of this um, the last time we had some eclipses earlier this spring, so take a back, take a look back at that if you'd like. Um, so the Mercury Kazemi square Pluto can 
um, be epiphanies, clarity, illumination, answers revealed, like I said before. But it could be along the lines of Pluto, transformation, big shifts, and um, or deep shifts. And um, with the south node there, um, growing beyond some karma of the past, past patterns that maybe we had that we need to transcend and are looking for maybe the one thing that we have to change to make that happen. It could be that around this time you could be in illuminated to some of that. So that's kind of the, the omens behind that one. The last thing that I'll mention here is the lunar eclipse, which is another, it's, it's a loose, it's a loose partial eclipse. So not as I would say potent as, as the solar eclipse, but it's hard to say individually, we're going to experience these things in different ways. So um, this could be a way of culminating the energy from the solar eclipse so sometimes lunar eclipses are actually felt a little bit more because they're full moons rather than new moons which tend to be endings and startings and full moons are a, a lunar eclipse is a, is a really big powerful full moon and so that can be um that can be easier to notice or feel um but some notes i have on this are Doing the hard mental work to hone a goal or a dream, focus, determination, intensity, um, doing a Rubik's Cube while skydiving. Uh, what kind of goals, projects, or desires are in the works that need an extra push towards implementation? This, this is also happening at the same time as a Mars conjunct Mercury, and this, this will be opposite Jupiter in the same signs as the eclipse. So these are these are also related in ways, loosely related, but I do think that they will will be felt altogether. So the last thing that I wanted to get through is um, a little bit of an explanation on Pluto, because there are there are a number of planets that are going to square Pluto during this time, and so Pluto is going to be felt. And I, I listened to another podcast that's really great called Nightlight Astrology, and they do a really nice treatment on Pluto and the outer planets and some of the malefic planets that I've been listening to that, I, that have helped me understand these a little bit more. And I would sit here and I would preach, like, do not be afraid of these planets. But it is true that occasionally they do scare me a little bit. If I have a Pluto, Pluto transit coming up, which I do, um, the Mercury Kazemi will square Pluto uh, at the degree of my ascendance. So that's a very, you know, you can, you can view that as like a, a physical threat, basically. Or, um, or you can take it as, you know, more a, a, a soft transformation type of um, reworking. You know, what do I look out for that might affect my health, my body, my, my mentality? You know, how do, I, how do I need to change? I might be being called to change at this time. So I want to be open to that. Um, but because of that, I was listening to this episode on how to avoid astrological burnout um, for for Pluto and the other related planets on night light, nightlight astrology. So if you've ever felt any fatigue and fear, I very much believe and align with the other podcast that it should not be that way. And these really help, helped me to understand that a little bit more. But Pluto... Um, can represent secrets, sometimes secrets that we keep even from ourselves, or things we don't know 
about ourselves or maybe understand yet. And sometimes learning these things or owning these things can make a really big difference. It could be a little thing that makes a big difference, like a profound difference, which is what makes them so powerful and so explosive. And learning these things can sometimes be difficult. Truths about ourselves that we may not want to know. We need these types of secrets because discovering them is one of the best ways to learn and grow or to transform. So playing with this idea that we may be, that we may be confronting some of these themes over this month um, as, as we're approaching approaching the darker half of the year we're in libra season we're on our way we're on our way to less light in the day and themes of themes of the dark themes of death themes of of transformation those things are are coming into our view a little bit more so i had this idea for a poll and so if you'd like to try this i think it might help with some of the presence of pluto during these during these eclipses so here it is Pull one card for the top to represent an outcome or one of the possibilities of something that might happen. Maybe there's an event or a choice that you have right now. What's one of the possibilities? Pull a card for that. One card below that representing the nature or your or level of fear of this outcome. So like how afraid of you are this? Um, a card to the right of that for what you are afraid of, and a card to the left for how this outcome comforts you. So right now you have four cards, one card at the top, and then three underneath that. And then lastly, one card in the center below to represent an action to lean into your fear. So to lean into the card on the right, um, coupled a little bit with the card in the very center, which represents how you feel about whatever this outcome may be. Now, how do you lean into it? And so maybe your level of fear of this thing isn't isn't a whole lot. Maybe you're maybe you're maybe you're not sure what you are avoiding or afraid of of this. And so this is meant to help you kind of dig out some of these secrets, some of these more hidden things in your subconscious that you may not know of, which can represent Pluto, which can represent some of the ways that these eclipses in Libra are going to also loosely be associated with Pluto. So those are my thoughts this month. I hope you, I'd love to hear how you guys uh, like this poll. If any of you guys try it, I'd love to hear what you get and how, and, um, how it represents things in your life. I'll announce the next time exactly how I want to approach stars and shit to make sure that it aligns with the beginning of the month. I might put out, I might put out my own little episode on Awakened Tarot around the first of the month, whether or not um, Jackie's episode lines up with it. Um, we talked about that a little bit. I think it could be a good way to do it. Um, so appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time.